We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Stephen Gerrard seems concerned that England players who are young and exciting are not fully embracing the fact that they should get the crap kicked out of them. And I just want to let Stephen Gerrard know if he's missing his playing days, I'm happy to put on the boots and kick the crap out of him. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Bachman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Look, what you probably don't know behind the scenes is that, like, I don't script these intros. You probably figured that out pretty quick. But so, like, right before I hit record, I'm like, hmm, what should be the topic of this intro? And, like, usually I bang them out pretty quick. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. This one, I got there in the end. But I feel I went a long way to get there. The moral of the story is Steven Gerrard feels that Bukayo Saka should embrace the fact <clears throat> that he should have to get the crap kicked out of him because Steven Gerrard has pins in his hip. And until Bukayo Saka has pins in his ankle and his hip, Steven Gerrard will not be happy. I think he's just missing his playing days. And all of us should line up, put on boots, and kick the crap out of him so we can get that feeling, that nostalgic feeling back. But you know what feeling is back? The good feeling. The Mikel Arteta's Red Army feeling. The away fans chanting his name feeling. The Arsenal win again feeling. And the feeling that once again we may be at the top table of European football. That once again St. Totteringham may visit us. Maybe a little soon for that. But you know what? We got two weeks to celebrate another win. We got a lot of stuff planned for that. We are going to do tactical deep dives into individual player performances. A new concept we're going to roll out over on the Patreon side of things. But don't worry. There will still be the regular old pod. If you just prefer the regular old pod, the important thing is we just prefer having you somewhere here listening to us. And we love you and thank you for doing it. Um, We will get into Celebration Police. Who polices the Celebration Police is the question. Where do they get their badges? Badges? We don't need no stinking badges. Uh, We will get into the Bukaya Saka rough treatment. We will get into uh, Bobby Holding essentially being the closer once he comes in. Just blow the whistle, ref. The game is over. We're getting all that and more with Tim. You can find him on Twitter, at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter, pause my pants, I'll pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter, Clive, you can Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. Um, so, Tim, let's start from the back. Um, sure. And I, I think... You know, the celebration police out in full once again. Like, you gotta love it, right? Like, you would think that Ashley Young would learn from what happened to Wolves and Ruben Neves that since policing our celebrations, 
They have been completely broken uh, and hilariously <laughs> lost to Leeds in dramatic fashion in midweek. Um, and But no, he didn't learn. He's complaining about the celebration. It appears that no one wants Arsenal to be happy. You know what's funny is I never hear the celebration police when like Leeds celebrated beating um, Wolves or when Everton came back and beat 10 men Newcastle. No one seems to complain about those celebrations. It's a specific team celebrating that seems to offend people. But the away fans were in such good voice and the support for Arteta lustily sung and, and really vibrantly back in full effect with the away fans. And I'm curious to get your sense of the celebration, both on the pitch. I mean, the, the celebration with Bern Leno in particular was mm. just heartwarming, wholesome stuff, but also uh, in the away end. Yeah, sure. So first of all, um, you know, when it comes to like the celebration police stuff, I, th- I think there's two things I'd say very quickly. I think Paul put this really well on Saturday night that the mistake that both Wolves and Aston Villa have made is assuming that the celebration was about them um, because they're a bunch of egomaniacs and they think that it was about like winning at Wolves or winning at Villa. And it wasn't. It was it's about us, not them. Um, and, and so that, I, I think that sums it up really well. I think, um, Laura Woods as well did like a really good bit on this on TalkSport today. And she just kind of said, if, if you follow that logic, basically nobody ever celebrates anything. And we just wait and see where we all are in the table in May. And then like what three teams celebrate (laughs) are actually happy with where they finish. Mm. It's, It's just like, it's just a complete failure of logic. And, and I, I think very passionately it needs calling out and not ignoring because I really don't think it can be allowed. Like these people expressed too much happiness just can't be allowed to become a normal comment on anything, let alone something like football. Mm. Um, particularly when you take in the pandemic context, you know, what's going on in the world at the moment. Like we all need a little bit of happiness wherever we can get it. And that's not to be glib about what's going on in the world at the moment or suggesting that football results fix that. But, you know, a little bit of escapism um, quite nice and and really let's not take football so seriously that we're not allowed to do that anymore in in terms of what it was like um you know traveling to the game there, there were a confluence of factors here the, the most important one being people feel better about this team and all of the things spoken about all season about there being like a slightly younger dint um to the away support about the number of credits needed to go to games has come down. It's kind of freshened things up um, a little bit in terms of the away support, but that happening at the same time, there's a growing feeling with the team. And of course, it, it was a 12.30 kickoff in Birmingham, which which is actually quite a nice balance because um, quite often 12.30 games can lack a bit of energy if you're going to the other end of the country and you have to wake up at 4am. You don't quite have to do that for Birmingham, just, just the 7am. Hmm. Um, but it also means you start drinking at 9am. <laughs> and it's like it's it's the perfect distance right um and and i speak from experience here because if you have like sunderland or newcastle away at twelve thirty, you know you start drinking at like seven in the morning for several hours and by the time you get there you're a bit sleepy whereas birmingham is like an hour and a half on the train and it's just like it's just the perfect time and the perfect distance for the alcohol to like to stay there you know <laughs> and, and work quite well by the time the kickoff comes and i think you could see that and um and yeah there, I, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago just kind of speculating on you know the fans feel so much better about the team they're responding to the players like at, at what point does the manager uh, and said non-judgmentally because i haven't championed the manager 
absolutely outrightly um, for his whole his whole time here. But at what point does that start to focus on the manager a bit? And it was interesting that we saw that on Saturday, and that's why I filmed the chant um, after the final whistle. The the one about Arteta, and I, I don't often do that, but it just it felt like a special moment, and it felt like one that I wanted to share um, in social media terms, which again I don't usually do at away matches. But I, I guess to put a bit of context around the celebrations as well, one of the things, and this will give you an insight into how Villa were thinking about this game. Villa won the toss, and they decided to turn the teams around. Now, usually Villa would kick towards the whole end in the second half. That's their big end. That's their noisy end yeah. um, and usually the away team kicks towards their fans in the second half Villa won the toss and turned it round so that tells you they went into the game with quite a defensive mindset and we saw that in the first half and when that happened me and my mate were like oh no we've been denied like if Arsenal get a late winner we've been denied like stoppage time scenes and go back and look at any game at Villa Park where the away team scores late and you will see you know bodies piled up on the pitch um, because like the front row is pretty close to the pitch from the away end of Villa Park, and we're like, oh no, we, we've been denied potential, you know, hashtag scenes here. Um, <laughs> but 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 two things happened. First of all, we got the goal at our end anyway in the first half. But really, the reason that the celebrations were as they were at the final whistle is because. It just so happened we were defending a free kick with the last act of the game, which means all of the play- every single player was in the penalty area. So they're all within 10 yards of each other. And then, you know, you have that kind of heart-stopping adrenaline moment where you have to defend the free kick. Then the final whistle goes. Like, if the ball had just been faded out from a goal kick and the final whistle had gone there, you wouldn't have seen that. It's just that all the players were together. They had this supercharged moment in stoppage time where they had to defend a free kick. And it just so happened to be directly in front of the away fans. So they didn't have to go anywhere. Usually they'd kind of drift over, applaud, there'd be some singing. But you had this, like, intense moment um, where everyone's on top of each other, both fans and players at the end. And, and yeah, and, and it was nice. It was very, like adrenaline releasing moment and and it was just really nice to share that moment with with the players and the manager at the end because Arteta came over as he usually does and and I think you know um fair enough he he soaked it up and deservedly yeah, so absolutely yeah it's well deserved and like it again you know not to go full culture discussion but like seeing the team celebrate with Leno and what it meant to him and what it meant to them for him and then Ramsdale celebrating with Leno you know look it's always easy for everybody to look happy and the culture and camaraderie to look good when you're on a really good run. But there does seem to be a a togetherness about this. This is a guy in Leno who I think pretty clearly wanted out. Yeah. And understandably so. I think has lost his place in the Germany team as as a result. In the World Cup, yeah. Yeah. So like... He'd, he'd he'd be unhappy and deservedly so. And can I just um, interrupt you um, just to give you... I mean, you, it's a role uh, reversal, but let's do uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say, a juxtaposition, look at United at the moment, Marcus Rashford getting shouted at by his own fans, giving it back, and, and I think well within his rights to give it back, and he gave it back a bit tamely. But I looked at that last week and I just thought, that was us, like, 18, like just before the pandemic, maybe that was yeah. us. That that would have been Arsenal player, Arsenal fan. Um, you know, I saw I saw that get out of here while you still can, Joel. I saw that with my own eyes. I was at Stokes that you know, I was thinking that was us not long ago, and I just couldn't imagine that happening at Arsenal now, which is wonderful. 
Yeah. I mean, it's wonderful and it took us a long time to get here. And so we should really enjoy it, which we are. So tell us to keep shutting up and not celebrating so we can keep celebrating in your stupid faces. Um, I should point out, I have not seen nearly though, to your point, Tim, about, you know, it being a free kick that's well saved that lets them all be together to celebrate and have that beautiful moment, those great pictures and videos. I have not seen nearly the credit given to Pepe for allowing that celebration moment to happen by giving away the useless free kick late that, you know, credit to Pepe for thinking if I give away a foul here, I can really set up a nice celebration at full time. So thank you for that, Pepe. Um, that's a joke by the way, Jesus. Um, <clears throat> well, Clive, the, well, I'll let you weigh in on the celebration just a little bit. Although I, I, I want to get to another major talking point before we then go through the moments, which is the, the, fouling of, of Bukayo Saka, but just quickly on the celebration. I mean, do you have anything to add about sort of the unity within the team? I think it, it, where it bothers me a little bit, I mean, first of all, I can understand opposition players who have just been beaten at home in front of their home crowd, not liking seeing the celebrations. You know, what I think is distasteful is how it's sort of selective about who can celebrate and who can't. But like, I think the, the reality of these celebrations is that you have a young team trying to achieve something that, Maybe wasn't expected for them to achieve at this point in their in their cycle. They know how important it is, and they feel very bonded together. And so, I, you know, I don't have a problem with it. But do you? I mean, do you think that in this celebration and in, in this camaraderie, we're sort of seeing something in this group that that, like Tim said, that's just very, very different from where we were a few seasons ago? Yeah, well, I think we can all we can all see that now. And I'll, be, I'll think about this a little bit deeper. It may even link to the second thing a little bit as well, actually. And it's about perception and how we're perceived and if you just look back and i'm not someone who likes looking back but sometimes you need to look back to see why people are reacting a certain way so as a club over the last decade we've been defined by division haven't we really we've been defined by a, a strong manager and people being on one side or the other and that division has you know in the fan base and fan tv has really defined who we are so people have enjoyed that division they've enjoyed our fall and now we have a a new perception. So people who are close to Arsenal can see that perception is different. So we all feel it because we watch it all the time and absorb every single bit of information we possibly can. But the outside world is thinking, well, what's going on here? Right? What's going on? We, we don't want to change the perception. We're quite happy with the old perception we had of you. We want you to be divided. What's all this jumping around, cheering, enjoying each other's company with a bright young team that's playing really nice football with the youngest manager in the Premier League, with the youngest squad in the Premier League, and with four players in the England squad? Well, we're not prepared to accept that. Some people are thinking, crikey, something's changing. But most people are happy with the old perceptions. And that includes the referees. <laughs> that includes a lot of the media. And and you have to work very hard to change perceptions. And another sport that I love, as many will know, is rugby. And the French team at the weekend won the Grand Slam. And they've gone for a rebuild. And you look at a lot of the things they've done around the organisation, their team, the unity. It's very similar. It's very similar to what we're doing. Look what Xavi's doing at Barcelona. It's very similar. It's a bit... It's it's different, a different model, but where they were a year ago, it can turn around quite quickly. And To be and fair, what, adding a really lethal striker helped them in their rebuild. I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. But, but they're prepared, you know, what they're prepared to do was, you know, take, you know, take a little bit of medicine, not as much as they should do, but take a little bit of medicine. And what French rugby did exactly the same, took a lot of medicine, went with a really young team, 
mm-hmm. really young team looking for a date in in the in the future. Now they just won the Grand Slam, and we've done the same thing. We took some pain, paid people off. We're trying to change perceptions, and the fans know what we're doing, and they can see that it's got all the best intentions at heart and no the intentions not for no one individual they're for the club and that's what's changed and and so quite rightly you know my saying you can't fool people right they know what they're looking at when they feel it they're going to enjoy it they're going to be there they're going to want to stay there they're going to want to get to the games a little bit earlier they want to sing a little bit louder stay a little bit longer and so yeah the rest of the world could do one as far as i'm concerned mate yeah i I think there's there's also things that like lead to celebrations being bigger or, you know, the way you see a game out, um, the pressure you're under, as Tim said, the final moment, I do think like if you're getting some rough treatment, like, like I thought the, the the challenges were flying in, in this game from Villa. And for a lot of the first half in particular, they were, they seemed more interested in nipping at ankles and, and going in to challenges aggressively than they did, you know, playing any football. Um, you know, and I thought it was important that we start brightly because I knew we were going to fade and we did start really, really brightly. But, but Paul, like this whole business of, I I think what Gerard said, like it's really unfortunate. I I think if he had a chance to think about it, he'd realize how hypocritical it is, you know, and I don't know why I'm giving him that credit, but like, first of all, obviously Arsenal fans on the internet undefeated, bringing the receipts, showing that Gerard had said, you know, that Rangers players need protection from the referees. Um, so, you know, hypocrisy reigns supreme as it always does, but talking about how he's got pins in his hip and that's just part of the English game. And like, first of all, football can evolve. That doesn't have to be part of the English game. We don't have to lose talent like Jose Antonio Reyes from the English game. Cause he'd been kicked out of it or Abu Dhabi or Eduardo or for years, uh, Aaron Ramsey. Like we don't have to lose players. We can actually improve. We can actually protect them. And Bukayo Saka like, deserves that protection. The thing I think is interesting is, right, there's this outrage for Saka just not wanting to get kicked. Where's the outrage for Son literally acting like he's been shot from a sniper bullet because a ball touched his ankle during a stoppage of play? Where's the outrage for Sadio Mane diving in our box in midweek? Or Kane making a back for people to fall over over and over and over again? Like, the, the idea, you know, I remember um, Andrew Arsbog used to always get outraged, like when Cesc Fabregas spit at someone, like, and and the media was like, "Spitting is the worst thing you can do." Literally, like a week after our player had, had an ankle broken, and I just feel like there's more outrage over the wrong stuff, like a a, a player complaining about nearly having his ankle broken. The, he has every right to want to protect himself and protect his career. I don't, I don't know that I think that they're that Saka is targeting, you know, that anyone's trying to hurt him. But when you're young and you're that skillful, players don't like it and they're gonna wanna they're gonna wanna leave a little on you. I'm I'm curious how you think of the treatment Sack is getting in this sort of furore over him daring to defend himself against some of that, or not even just defend himself, just ask referees to clean it up. <laughs> Paul. 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 Did we lose Paul already? We didn't even get Paul Go into on. the podcast. Kind of sounds like it. <laughs> I mean, it could just be that his mute button is perma-broken. You know what, though? I know a man who's always willing to talk about something other than the question I've asked while we wait for Paul to... Hello. Ah, he's fixed Hello. it. He's fixed the mute button. Paul, uh, that that that's... You know what? I'm not editing that out. I'm leaving it in. Go ahead. Right. Uh, well, it's whipped me up to a frenzy uh, working that one out. Look, I don't think this was just hypocritical or annoying or silly or stupid or... This is fucking scandalous. 
this is... I love that you've got the energy for this. Thank you for this. We need No, this. like, this is bad. My first reaction was a, kind of a, oh, he's been hit. Like, this is Stephen Gerrard, crown prince of Liverpool, Mr. Entitlement himself, never had anybody say no to him at Liverpool or England, basically giving a license to teams to rough up Bukayo Saka and Arsenal because he has hips in his, sorry, he has screws in his hips and what 20-year-old promising player for England shouldn't aspire and what game and what referees and what other teams shouldn't aspire to get screws into Bukayo Saka's hip. He doesn't have half the build that Steven Gerrard has. It's a license for teams to go in heavy on Arsenal and Saka, and it makes us look like whiners and whingers. And, like, if you know anything about Bukaya Saka, uh, the, the, everybody says he's the nicest, best, most... Uh, like, if he's complaining about getting treatment, like, he, he, he's not going out looking for attention. He's not looking... He has no agenda apart from he wants to be able to play for Arsenal and England and not have his career fucking destroyed. And here's Gerard with... The darling of now of the English media. He's a terrible fucking loser, basically. That's what's going on with Gerard. He doesn't like being stuck with a mid-table team that just had their ass handed to them. He was fine and dandy at Rangers, but guess what? He got to win at Rangers. Mm-hmm. He's always been this entitled, protected uh, guy who's... Uh, basically on this fast track path to the top and he can't fucking handle it. And here he is saying, you can go in on Bukaya Saka and if he can't handle it, it's because he's a coward, a whiner, a complainer. Go for it. Um, That may not have been his specific intention, but it's the effect. It's a now somebody with his stature in the game, the hard man, the tough man. So many people in English football look to him as having been a real stud in football. And here's this guy saying, no, that's that's just whining, complaining, a guy who's who's not able to handle it, trying to make, have other people solve his problems. I think actually think it's disgusting. He had an opportunity, to, like he could have said a million different things. What did he go with? Uh, this guy needs to be able to take uh, the kinds of challenges that he said himself. He had 16 operations and screws in his hip. And the lesson he turned took from that is go get Saka. Mm. Yeah. I think it's I mean, disgusting. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, can I ask you a question though? Like, do you, does this bother you at all? <laughs> A little. <laughs> I can tell. No, I mean, I, look, I, I agree with you. I, I think what I would say, Paul, is that, like, I, I – there's something to be said for, like, consistency of approach. And, and I do think that, you know, if, if – I can disagree with someone, but if there's consistency, I could say, like, well, maybe I'm just out of step with it. But I don't see any consistency in the way people react to – bad fouls or players being targeted or diving or play acting. And the thing that's so weird to me is with Saka being clearly a future star for England and being a kid who doesn't play act and doesn't play things up and gets on and gets up with it. Like it just seems so bizarre to me to target him for rough treatment and then target him 
for a negative reaction when he's being treated roughly. And like the Villa fans, oh, by the way, Tim, I mean, you were there. You can probably vouch for this. Like they were furious with him for daring to be upset. Like what is it about some fans at some of these grounds? It reminds me of Stoke being mad at a player for having been injured by their player. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's probably a deeper conversation here that I'm not qualified to have about um, Bukayo Saka and um, what if his name was not Bukayo Saka and was, I don't know, John Hill or something. Harry Kane. Um, yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> no, I, I think I and by the way, there's a deep, complicated know? and probably quite important conversation to be had around this, but it's also difficult because you don't want to cast too many aspersions on, on too many individuals. But, um, you know, um, I guess ask Ra- Raheem Sterling <laughs> a similar question, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think there's probably a conversation to be had around that. But like I say, I'm certainly not qualified to have it. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I Look, you're right to say you don't want to cast dispersions, right? Because there's enough tribalism in football that it can just be for a large portion of these supporters or coaches, whoever it is, that they just hate the Arsenal guy, you know. But there is almost certainly another layer to that that, that plays a role. I think I'd like to move on from this. I think clearly, like, these these were the big talking points in the media after the game, the the fouling issue and the celebration issue, obviously, because we always love to talk about the stuff that is probably least relevant. I do want to just praise Saka, though. I thought the little conversation he had with with Andy Madley, I think his name is Andy, not that I care so much, at, you know, walking in the locker room at halftime, didn't make a big fuss about it, didn't make a big fuss at the time particularly, but made his point, like, the kid is maturing He's trying to protect himself. He's trying to use his status in the game and his, his growing status generally to to get the outcome he needs that's best for him and the team. I, I just thought it was it was well handled by him, and I think everyone else can just screw off. Um, so so let's go back to the beginning a little bit. And Clive, uh, uh, Tim, I'll stay with you for a second. That didn't seem to be much of a contribution. Sure. No offense, <laughs> no offense to your contribution whatsoever. Um, you know, we did have to come out of the gates fast, I think, given that we knew we were going to fade, and I thought we did. And the thing that's so interesting is that, you know, we really dominated this game early, and there were chances. There were chances where Lacazette couldn't get a shot off. There were chances where Emil Smith-Rowe, who I thought was contractually obligated to score with every shot, actually didn't. Um, you know, we were playing well. But once again, it just seems like every week we're saying this, the the oil in the engine that makes this whole thing go is Thomas Party, And I get sick mm-hmm. of doing these podcasts and just feeling like, oh, well, we're just going to lavish praise on Thomas Party again. But once again, you know, especially for a guy who sometimes hasn't always looked like he could make it through 90 minutes, his third game in a week, we come out of the box fast. And I thought he was crucial to everything we were doing that was working again. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> yeah, we, we keep talking about it because it keeps happening. Yeah. Um, it's as simple as that. That um, I think what really set the tone for this performance was uh, that that kind of crossfield pass he put into Saka very early on, which uh, Aston Villa's left back, what's his name? Um, Ashley, Ashley Old? Um, I, I just think of him as the guy who had a bird crap in his mouth. Yeah. Really, yeah. yeah. Ashley, Ashley, very old. It's time to retire now, mate. Um, tried, tried to intercept it and he couldn't get his arthritic hip um, over the ball. Um, maybe Steven Gerrard can lend him a hip screw or something. But he, he, the one where Saka big touch to get it out of his feet and then the yeah, yeah. for a good, was it Smith Rowe chance? 
I, I, yes, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was the one he put over and party just, you know, takes the ball on the turn. And that was the pass. I remember reading Phil Costa's profile of party when we signed him and, and he said, that's the pass he loves the most. Like I think at the time Atleti had Kieran Trippier and Phil was kind of saying, yeah, he, he fades that ball out to Kieran Trippier on the right flank really, really well. And I, I was really attracted to that idea because at that time we had a ridiculous left, left-sided bias and I kind of thought, okay, maybe Party can join the dots over on the right. <clears throat> I mean, as it happens, I think Erdegaard's the one that's done that really, but that pass was just sumptuous. And, and again, the amount of times, like, I want to resist the Vieira comparison, but I can't because there are so many times where it looks like he's lost the ball or he's in a fight for the ball and it looks like he's not going to win it. And he just does that little, like, go-go gadget leg thing and his leg seems to just, like, extend another two <laughs> yards out of his hip socket. Um, m- maybe he's got some funky hip screws. I don't know. Um, and, and he just comes away with it. And it's just, it's also it, like, it looks effortless as well. Like, like he, you know, he, I, I, I don't doubt that if you're in like a challenge with Thomas party, you probably like experience his upper body strength. But when you look at it, it doesn't look like that. Like he, he glides. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's one of those, you know, the, the analogy of the swan kind of when you look under the water, there's a lot of kicking going on, but he just like, he just glides. He just leans people out of the way. Um, and the way it's just so smooth, like every movement, like on the turn, his passes, he has a lovely disguised pass as well because he wraps his boot around the ball and he passes with the side of his foot quite often. And like the amount of times I've seen him make that pass through the lines where he opens his body up on the right and he looks like he's going to whip the ball out to the right, like that Saka pass I was, disca- I was describing. And then at the last second, he just turns his ankle a little bit and just zips it off over to the left between the lines and it's just absolutely imperious and he he was I mean I think maybe in the first half Saka was our best player just because he was our most dangerous player but obviously I think he got kicked out the game a bit over the course of the 90 minutes because there were two sides to this game and there were two sides to this performance and that was dominating them in the first certainly in the first half maybe the first 60 minutes and then there was the kind of the last 20 to 30 minutes where you know increasingly you have to defend and both on both sides of that Thomas party was outstanding and it's just a joy um, to watch him at the moment and this is why this is why I think I was a little bit hard on him last season and maybe earlier this season because like I I just had a feeling this this player was there I, I didn't really watch much of him at Atleti so I don't know but I kind of thought come on like there's got to be more to this guy and and you know there was a lot of um there was a, there was a lot of context around that with injuries and stuff like that and arriving very late in the deadline and and all of that and some adjustment and and so I, I never like I didn't I don't think I ever wrote him off in like perpetuity but I was thinking oh, I see like once every five games I see something from this guy and at the moment <clears throat> we're seeing it in every game yeah yeah I agree and it just I don't have much to say about it beyond that because I, you know, I do think that we get to the point where it, it gets redundant. But given how good he was, I, I didn't want to, yeah, I, I didn't want to miss his, you know, his his contribution. Given that there are other moments that we can get to that I think are bigger in this game. And one of the things, uh, Clive, we'll, we'll get to more important stuff. But real quick, one of the things that ties into the discussion of, of referees and harsh fouls and all that stuff that that I don't want to miss. 
I have not been Granite Shaka's biggest defender. I think it is fair to say, Clive. At times, I may have even gently criticized Granite Shaka. I thought this was a good Shaka game, and I thought he managed the game well, especially being on a yellow card. But the thing about being on the yellow card is, I don't understand how he was on a yellow card. And we are perpetually talking about how games are refereed this season. And I hate it. I don't want to do it. I don't like engaging in it. By the way, Mike Dean retiring, so we can all raise a glass to that, certainly. But but Granite Shaka gets a yellow card, I guess, for totting up. And the referee points, you fouled him there, you fouled him there, you fouled him there, this is your yellow card. The only problem was it was his first foul. How does this keep happening? Like, how is, I, I have to admit, while I think Granite Shaka at times can do some brainless stuff, the guy is just refereed differently. I don't get it. It's back to perception again, isn't it? I mean, I watched something called Ref Watch on Sky this morning, and Dermot Gallagher said, Granite Shaka had it coming. I mean, well, I he, think, just To no. be fair, he did step on the pitch. Yeah, and that is literally it. So a player, referee, obviously have certain players in their eye line. And the moment they step out of line, they say, I've got to put you back into line. And so the the temperature gauge is different for some players than for others. And, and we know this, right? And But let's, uh, let's just admit it, shall we? Rather than say, you know, invent things in our minds. Let's just admit that certain players are profiled differently than others. And that mm. includes the Sackers and the Sterlings and the Shackers. And there are some players that can do literally anything, you know, and they've got to commit murder or deep, you know, really to get themselves into trouble with a referee. And as soon as they do, someone said, well, they're not that, they're not that sort of player. You know, I was <laughs> look at some of the tackles that we've seen. I don't like to keep going back on this because it doesn't really change anything. The only way you change something is by being a good football team. Honestly, that's the only way. You block it out and say, let's just focus on being good. I've had my rants about the referees. I still feel the City game was robbed from us with a referee decision. You can look at, I know he Shaka made a dumb challenge at Man City away. It was a dumb challenge. He never actually con- you know, connected with anything. He gets a straight red. And you could say, well, you know what, I was a bit dumb. It was great, Shaka, so I expect it. Are we falling for it as well? There's been tackles that we've seen subsequently where they have made contact, just got yellows, etc. So it's a perception thing, I'm afraid, and we have to work hard to change it. That perception has been ingrained for many years when it comes to Arsenal discipline and how they're perceived. And, yeah, we are an Arsenal podcast with Arsenal leanings, but we also have the ability now, due to social media, and uh, we're not just sitting in an echo chamber. I know all of us have got routes to other teams and other areas of the game and we can see more broadly and we have much more data which tells us there's a there's a problem here right and um but it is what it is we can't do anything about it we can just keep playing keep playing well until you change people's perception it's going to take a bit longer i'm afraid yeah <clears throat> enough of that let, let, let's continue on with the good stuff and like the one thing i think every team needs clive like when you play in three games in a week and you may not have your absolute A game and you're you know at a tricky place to go away, you do need a player who maybe drags you through it a little bit. And I'm not sure we've always had that in recent seasons. And Bakaya Saka is becoming that guy. <clears throat> and his goal isn't like a Galazzo or anything, but he's quick to the spot. He takes his shot early. You know, it, it, I, I love that um, it gets by Emmy Martinez because... I was a little worried that he was going to have one of those days when he saved the, I guess it was an own goal almost from, was it from a sack across too? 
the or is that yeah, it was. Across? Yeah, sack it was across, yeah. Sack across, yeah. Just put into a brilliant spot. But like being kicked the way he was and getting the treatment he was and still being so uh so present and so dominant in the game and then getting the goal, he really has risen to the occasion, not just to improve his game, but to be the guy who takes the responsibility. I mean, there was a time not so long ago where I think Saka was looking to be more facilitator than goal scorer. He's now tied for our lead goal scorer with Smith Rowe. And I'm just wondering what you think of the fact that he takes it on himself, scores the winning goal, even with all the treatment he was getting and all the focus around him. He definitely seems to be growing into the idea that he he has to be the guy to take that responsibility sometimes. Yeah, let's take it back to the Wednesday night game, Liverpool, right, where um, it was Martelli's time to shine and he shone on the night and they doubled up on Sackham massively to block the Odegaard link and Van Dijk shut out the light literally standing over him yep. on a couple of occasions. And you're thinking, crikey, the team gets announced, no Ramsdale, no Martelli. Okay, we need Saka to step up. And he does exactly that. You're the one stretcher on the pitch. Stretch the game. Can you do that? Yeah, I can do that. I can be your most dangerous player. Don't worry about the fact I played late on Wednesday. I'm bringing it. I'm bringing it today and I'm bringing it to you. And you're going to have to really work hard to stop me. And, I, and the whole thing for me was like a... Because I was nervous like everybody else about this game. I was nervous and we just started off like a proper team. And it made me think that we... I know I'm... I'm I'm touch wood here, right? But there are games in the Premier League against City and Liverpool. And for me, there are, there's the rest. And there's a they're, they're still ahead. They're still ahead. We can see what's happening here. But we're a good side. And we walked into that game with our confidence totally intact. We're a good side. We're playing our way. The way we play, we can repeat. We can do this on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. It's not a problem. We know what we're about. We know our groupings. We know what we're trying to do. We know how we move the ball. We know who's key. And we know what we're trying to do when we get overloads. We're trying to get in and hurt you. And it's looked, it looked really, really nice. And it was like I was sitting there smiling, going, oh, man, this is nice. I, I wasn't sure I was going to see this, but now I'm seeing it again and again and again. And Saka's right at that, and he just stepped up and took the sprinting responsibilities that Martelli and him had been sharing for the last few weeks. He took it all on, Villa targeted him. And this is why he said something, right? So, um, Because he is being targeted, and it is a worry. And I saw one of Tim's tweets at the weekend um, talking about, you know, he was at the grounds when some of those broken legs happened, you know, literally. And when... You see that sort of stuff. You do remember. You really do remember. And when I see people having a pop at him, I just think, Quacky, do you know what you have on your hands here? Mm. I know he's an Arsenal player, but he is a absolute superstar in the waiting as a footballer. His variation positionally, how he is, how he behaves. I mean, gee whiz. I mean, <clears> I'm trying <throat> to find something wrong with him, right? I just can't. Right? So, um, yeah. So yeah, let's, let's hope it just continues, Elliot. Because there's a there's a sunny day there's a sunny day around the corner, mate. Hopefully, yeah. And like I, I think it's funny because you look at this summer right now. He sort of surprisingly, I think, to a lot of us, became a must start player for England. And you know, we had the riding the unicorn moment and became very memeable and like really was a critical part of the England setup in a tournament that I thought really restored people's faith in football after the you know no fans in the stand pandemic era Super League fiasco shit and like suffered a heartbreak at the end of the tournament, met with some really despicable treatment at the end of the tournament as well. And you would think like, 
the league would rally around him a bit. England might, the refs might, you know, good kid. England future suffered after, you know, a good tournament. It, it hasn't worked out that way. He hasn't been protected. But, like, the character of the kid to have no summer off, experience something so big, keep his head on his shoulders, not react negatively to the negative reaction, not be over overawed by what he experienced, and just grow his game and continue to improve. Like, I, I don't think you can say enough because there's obviously multiple aspects to a young superstar becoming a full-on superstar. And we look at Jack Wilshere, who I think had all the qualities, but the hype around him in the England team and the kicking that he got in midfield and you know maybe the focus and professionalism, it's hard, it's hard to say on that kind of stuff. The way his body was able to hold up, it didn't happen. And with Saka, it just looks like, I mean, and it's too soon to say, but sure looks like he's there and he's going to get there if he isn't there already. Um, I want to get on to Smith Rowe starting, and, and especially because I think Smith Rowe playing led to us playing a little bit differently, and I think that's worth analyzing. But you know, I, I think if if we're honest, and we you know we always try to be honest on this podcast. You know, I I like to think that that's you know a big part of what we do. That you know this time of year when every game matters and every little fine margin makes the difference. Maybe it's that little bit faster you run, that little bit quicker you get to the ball, that little bit you know, of distance you gain because you don't have the drag of extra hair holding you back. Like that could be the difference between top four and not top four. And in your life, maybe it's, it's not top four, but whatever goal you're striving for, maybe it is properly shaving your privates. That's going to get you there. Have you thought about that? Have you sat down and said, I'm facing some headwinds in my life, literal or figurative? What do you do about headwinds? Think about a swimmer. What do they do? They wear the, the cap or they shave their body. Everybody who I know who is a high performer has their body shaved. That's all I'm going to say. And if you want to be a high performer, this is the time. Look, spring is sprung. The best tools for spring cleaning in your pants come from Manscaped. Trust me, your confidence will be blooming like the flowers this upcoming spring when you clear out the winter bush and join the 4 million men who trust Manscaped. I don't think it's just men, by the way. I'm not going to allow that. The 4 million humans. Use code ARSENALVISION to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com, the global leader in men's below-the-waist grooming. And forever change the grooming game with their amazing performance package 4.0. Clive was just saying it's time for him to get a, a performance package delivery. I need to get that for him. What is the performance package 4.0? The lawnmower 4.0, the finest purpose-built trimmer. The weed whacker for ear and nose hair. The crop preserver deodorant. The crop reviver toner. The performance boxer briefs. I do have the boxer briefs, and they are excellent. Good for uh, exercise. Got the right, the, the right containment. Uh, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. The lawnmower, now I don't always read the copy directly from Manscaped, but in this instance, I think I have to. The lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is a, it says here, pube assassin. If you had pube assassin on your bingo card, you can cross it off. That is waterproof and equipped with an LED light, so you bet it's a major key to the new shower routine. It's an elite trimmer. You got skin, skin safe technology with those ceramic blades, reduced nicks and snags and cuts. You have the toners, the, the, um, Deodorant and moisturizer, it's all there. Get it all. Smell and feel good this spring. Achieve more. If you purchase now, you get two free gifts. You get the boxers and the shed travel bag free when you order the Performance Packs 4.0. Go 20% off and free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. 20% off and free worldwide shipping, manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. Do it now. And once you're done, once you're set for high performance, then you need all the talent around you and you know how you get the talent around you. By now, you do it with Indeed. The hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else what happens? What happens if you don't find them? You don't pay. 
Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you every step of the way. Find great talent with time-saving tools like Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. So you don't have to get together. You just do it virtually. Like we live these days with Instant Match. As soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes that match your must-have requirements. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. I love that. Indeed, four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit. To upgrade your job, post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer out through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. To claim your $75 job credit before March 31st, Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. Need Indeed, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. I feel that that was a strong ad read that leads me into this, Paul. Emil Smith-Rowe. Woo-hoo. He did not score with every shot in this game. I, for one, am disgusted. Do we sell him this summer? I kid. Uh, I thought it was a good game. I thought it was an interesting game. And I thought it was a different kind of game because we didn't see him positioned quite the way we saw Gabriel Martinelli positioned. He wasn't out on the touchline. He wasn't necessarily always running in behind. He played as more of an interior. And I think Clive's been saying he's an interior for a while. He didn't play the eight, per se. But I also thought Shaka was a little deeper with Smith Rowe's inclusion. And we saw more of a return to Shaka being very involved in the passing game and buildup and Smith Rowe getting a little closer to the box. I'm curious if you think that's just a style thing or by design. Uh, could be the same. <laughs> um, look, uh, I thought Smith Rowe wasn't good in this game, as you said. I thought he was great. Um, yep. We had maybe, uh, I counted through, we had like six really good attacking movements in the first half he was involved in five of them um the best move of the game i think was the one where we swing it across our our back line uh, gabrielle pops it up to tierney to smith row who does that thing as uh, sesk Fabra- fabregas commented on on twitter the other day about uh they don't let you do pass and run anymore smith row is mr pass and run he does this he, as he's passing it, he bursts into a sprint in inside. To your point, mm-hmm. uh, flicks it to Chaka, who does a back heel flick. It's catching on. Quick mm-hmm. feet from Chaka. Gosh, Smithrow picks it up, swings it to the far side of the pitch to Saka. Him and and Odegaard do a little jiggery pokery. Saka runs in be- behind. Uh, Odegaard finds him. Tremendous understanding between those guys. They're getting smarter and cleverer. And Saka does that cut back, and then Smithrow comes charging in. And I'm almost certain he's going to put it in the back of the net. It's the one where he comes flying through the air, and it's just not quite right for him. I think it comes off his knee. It's mm. a beautiful move. And, like, it all happens because Smithrow opens them up like a can opener. Um, I thought he was really good in this. I thought his combo play um, with... Chaka and Tierney. I mean, he he's dropped in here. He hasn't played for a little while, at least not serious minutes. But there's a real understanding between those guys on that side because they've done this quite a lot before. And, uh, like, this isn't a knock on Martinelli, but I didn't... This, w- this was one of those games. I love when we swap in a player and I don't miss the player who I love that we dropped out. That's a really good sign in this team. I think it's part of the reason I'm not too concerned when people say, oh, will this be a lot of pressure on these young fellas? This run-in, you know, they've never been... Like, all this focus on them. One of the things with Smithrow and Martinelli is they're competing. They're not looking at what the outside world is saying. They're looking to get the next start. 
And that takes a whole load of that external pressure off you. It's good internal cooperation uh, and competition at the same time that keeps them fresh. Uh, I thought he did a really important game for us. And this was a very balanced... It wasn't one of these where Saka was brilliant, Odegaard was great, Party was great, uh, his a tendency to feed the right side more than the left because Jack is on his left. And so the, the whole right side was doing their thing. Cedric was, for the most part, really good swinging crosses. In fact, that's where Saka's goal comes from, off a free kick. He runs to the byline and swings in another good cross. So the, the right-hand side functioning really well. The left-hand side was really good and effective in a way that maybe we haven't seen with uh martinelli over there and that's not a knock on martinelli in the slightest but maybe the chemistry between those players over there hasn't got to the level that we see with smithrow chaka and tierney we've seen tierney and smithrow have great games together including a, a north london derby where they absolutely took those fuckers apart surgically um this was a really good performance and when you think he hasn't been you know he's been mostly out for a little while speaks well to the fact that he can step in, Martinelli can step in. And uh, I think what's happening now is we, and part of the reason there's a sense that something's really going on here and that other teams are a bit pissy about us is because something's really going on here. And we're now starting to intimidate teams and grounds that we're going to, because they look at it and they say, oh, they, these guys are unbeaten in in 11 apart from, City and Liverpool, and we're not City and Liverpool. Um, they're coming to grounds like ours. Like, we were tired, and we turned it on from the get-go, and that was the guys I've just mentioned. Smithrow was a big part of that. We didn't miss a step. We came, we started, we gave them a hard time, we got our goal, we put it up to them, onto the next guys, and that's intimidating for the villas of this world. Mm, yeah, and, like, I think... There is something to be said for being a team that can start the game on the front foot, dominate possession, create the chances, push a team back, because you, you take a little of the fight out of the opposition, right? I mean, one of the things that I think you can be really good defensively and be a good counterattacking team, but when you invite a team to come on to you and and give them that sense that they can get something from the game, I think you make it harder on yourself. And that's why, like, it does really frustrate me with Spurs. I have to admit that like the only thing they seem to be able to do is kick it long to Kane and have him head it down to Sun, but they like they fool teams into letting them do, do that. And, like just don't let them do that. But um, but I, I do I do like the way we we approach games now and and then if you have to lock it down at the end a little bit, that's okay. And so Tim, I'm curious. I mean, when you when you look at the way Smith Rowe plays that role, mm. he he always seems to get on the end of moves. He he always seems to have that ability to operate in tight spaces. It is it is such a luxury. I mean, I think there's a t- sometimes we tend to stress out about having two very good players who, at least yeah, for yeah. the time being, play the same position. But they definitely do it in different ways, and I think they occupy different areas on the pitch. To be fair, I think Martinelli might say, well, I'd, I'd like to occupy some of those areas. But I, I do think this is by design, and I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence, personally. So you look at Granit Xhaka, right? He's been like our fifth or sixth or seventh highest passer in recent games. Mm. And then in this game where Smith Rowe starts, he had one fewer pass than Gabriel, who was our lead leading passer. You know, I mean, he, he made 60 of 63 passes, right? Gabriel 61 of 64. So incredibly 
um, effective, but also very high volume. And I don't think that that's a coincidence that it happened with Smith Rowe on the side. So I'm curious if you think like what, what you thought of Smith Rowe's performance and, and how we look shape wise, maybe a little different with him starting. Yeah, that that's the really interesting thing about this Smith-Rowe-Martinelli <clears throat> uh, conundrum, like you say, very nice conundrum to have, is that they do play the role so differently. So Smith-Rowe's uh, more of a connective player, likes to come back towards the ball, make combinations and then burst in behind. And he's so, so good at that. Um, and it's such a difficult thing to defend against. When someone can go short and go in behind... Um, I mean, not, not to get on the guy's case too much, but like we've got a striker, right, who who can come short really, really well, but he can't go in behind, and it and it, it actually puts us under pressure because it doesn't take teams long to work out that actually we can leave quite a high defensive line because he's not going to run into the space like Smith Rowe does. Sa- that that's one of the levels Saka really added to his game. I think this season and last season that kind of. I can do both. I can come to the ball and I can beat you or I'll run in behind you. Um, and then you look at like Pepe, for example, he's another one. He comes short to the ball. He never, ever, ever runs in behind. It's always short to the ball. And it's, it just it just makes his game too variable. <clears throat> mm. So so I think you can see with like the, the two guys that like Arteta didn't buy or like really bring into the team, that that's the issue. They're, they're both quite, quite predictable um really even if they're good at what they actually do do the thing is that's interesting to me about this smith Rowe martinelli competition though is both of them are adding things to their game i don't know whether it's directly in response to the competition but like martinelli i think he's really come on in terms of beating a fullback going on the outside doing some of those wingery things and where smith Rowe come on i mean he led us for shots in this game again puts up 0.8 xg um unfortunately for him he's been running hot on his xg this year and um much like the rhythm eventually the xg will get you uh, he's perhaps like experiencing well, the rhythm is going to get you as you say yeah yeah exactly so he, he's probably just at the wrong time um that that's probably evening itself out now but you know leaving the game with 0.8 xg from three shots that's good that means they're three good shots as well like he's not just punting it from 30 yards for the sake of it so smith row is developing shots on goal and that's kind of martinelli's thing and martinelli is developing you know taking on fullbacks and getting to the byline and things like that. And I wouldn't necessarily say ne- that that's necessarily Smith Rowe's thing, but it's more of a, like it's another addition to his game. So what you haven't got that you might have had, had these players been competing 18 months ago, you'd just say straight up, right, you can either have like the goal scorer or the creator, but now they're kind of coming towards each other a little bit and they're both doing a little bit of the other side of the game. And that's that's just one of the exciting things about having like young attackers in the team because you can see you can see the level the layers they're adding and you can see the layers there are still there to add. And while Smith Rowe and Martinelli are competing, I can only see that like being good for Arsenal and being good for both of them as well to fight. And and not only that, just thinking about like the actual player's future, sometimes when a young player's really good, as we probably saw with someone like Fabregas, they can get maybe a bit too big for the team. Or and when I say too big for the team, I don't necessarily mean tactically. I mean kind of, you know, Fabregas must have thinking, okay, this has been my team for a few years now. 
I kind of want to go to Barcelona and start again and like have that challenge again. Whereas if you're not quite getting in the team or you've got real competition for your place, it's kind of more difficult psychologically to go, right, okay, I need the next step up now. Cause it's kind of like, well, you haven't proved yourself here yet. So, <laughs> so mm-hmm. actually I, I kind of think that, that that could work in our favor as well. Like you can't, it'd be very difficult i think for you to kind of go "Mm, yeah i've done everything i can here when you've got a guy who's probably just as good as you competing for your place and you know long long may that continue because i think that's great for arsenal hey tim can i I add on that quickly one of the things i always thought about sask and he talks about it is a kind of a burnout so yeah he got too big for the team but it was also all on him you know uh, Van Persie talked about it a little bit. I know. Um, but, like, it was all on them. And they were, on the one hand, growing too big for the team, but it was all on them, and they felt it on their shoulders, and we weren't at the level and the aspirations they wanted or the outside world wanted. And so it's kind of both sides. Ironically, there's an there's a downside and there's a downside to it. They get a bit too big for their boots because it's all about them, but it's all on them and it wears them down and they say, fuck it, uh, you know, uh, I want the trophies that come with the the plaudits and the pressure. And the nice thing about, to, to your point, this competition between the two of them is mm. it keeps them humble, keeps them working hard, and it means it's not all about Martinelli. It's not all about Smith Rowe. There are options. They're both good. They're both effective. And they're, uh, in effect, keeping each other humble. Yeah. Uh, Clive, I don't, I don't want to shut you out of this. Can you come in and give yeah, me Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it's funny how we, we talk about competition between those two players. And my overriding feeling of this game is, they, you know, I can't, they shouldn't be a competition. They should both be on the pitch. And because when your centre forward has made seven of ten passes, I'm thinking, hold on a minute, we're over-indexing stuff here. And those two players are, are too, too, they're too good. And if we need to, we need to find extremities in this squad, which we haven't tapped into yet. We've got 10 games to go and they're serious games of football. And we can't have people there on intangibles alone. We got people there contributing, really contributing. Smith Rowe is ready to contribute. Martinelli is ready to make a step up. Saka's making a step up. Odegaard's making a step up. I'm trying to argue with myself and say, why are they not on the pitch at the same time? And that's what we have to do to get to where we need to get to, in my opinion. And I, and I, styles are styles. We're gonna If we want to get to the squad depth that we need, which we need to have three or four players like this, more, of real high quality, and so we're not bringing on Eddie and Kea, et cetera. We're bringing on different styles of players. So those styles can mesh. But we're at a point in the season now where we need to make another step, and, and, I'm, and I'm arguing myself as to why they both can't be on the pitch. And I'm losing that argument in my, in my own opinion. <laughs> I'm losing yeah. that discussion. Yeah. And I mean, like we, the other thing is Clive, there is something to be said about patience. Like I, I do like, let, let's say you're Mikel Arteta Clive and you're like, I think there's another level up. We can go still one of them is by a striker. Fine. We, we can't do that right now, but let's say you think one of them is getting Martinelli and, and Smith Rowe both, on the pitch at the same time, and whoever that's at the expense of, you know, take your pick, whatever. Don't you agree that there's an argument to be made that, like, 
we got these X number of games to get back in the Champions League. We're on an incredible run. Our metrics are pretty good. It is working well enough to get us where we need to go. And that now might just not be the time to to try to in, implement that change <clears throat> when the finishing line is in, dis- in clear view. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I totally get it. But my, my view is slightly different. I think you have to always evolve the team all the time. Can I find can I find more juice in this orange? Can I squeeze a bit more out? I mustn't be afraid. I must be able to recognize when someone's leggy. Look, decision wasn't to be made this weekend because we had an illness in the squad. But I, I walked away from this game thinking, it's coming. This moment is coming when they need to be on the pitch. They are, they are manly enough in the challenge. They can protect the ball. They can retain the ball. They can move the ball. They're of one brain. It's coming. You know, it really is coming soon. So it's just a matter of when. And maybe it's going to be forced upon us at some point. I don't know, but we'll see. I think there's too much talent in those four to have one of them sitting. You know, that's that's where I'm fast coming to that opinion. And by the way, guys, you'll all agree with me soon when we're one nil down or we lose the game. Trust me, you'll all be there. Oh, the I, I've been there for ages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. This was something I definitely wanted to talk about as well. Like in that second half, one of the things I think that's slightly bothering me is that we're hanging on to one nils away from home, yeah, and like enough. we did at Wolves, like we did at Villa, and those games should have been over. And one of the reasons they weren't over is because after 70 minutes the opposition realized that there's there's no threat in behind from Lacazette like and I am getting annoyed with him to be honest because like I, I totally understand the conversation around well he is what he is he's 30 he's not going to change he's going at the end of the season but I'm sorry he's still our player and we still get to tell him what the fuck to do and at some point you have to go towards the penalty area son like you have to make that a near post run would it kill you for like you have like do do all the stuff you do, like outside the area in the center circle, behind Thomas Party, whatever. Like I, I'm not saying that stuff was at, it was without value, but there are times when we are breaking on these teams, and he's like he's on the edge of his own area, and it's like no, you've got to do the other side as well. And I kind of agree with Clive. Like I do think we're at the stage where maybe he should lose his place because of that, because you have to have threat in behind. Otherwise, teams will step on you. And if Filler had got a point out of this, it would have been scandalous because we should have been out of sight, not just because we dominated the first half, but the opportunities were there on the counter-attack. But the reason I think they look like they're there on the counter-attack is because teams know they can step on like that. They know there's no running behind, and and that kind of has to stop. And I would at least like to see... But, and, and I know we couldn't do it on Saturday, but maybe instead of the Inketia substitution, maybe that's when we put Martinelli up front, at, at yeah. least for now, like last 20 minutes, like hook Lacazette, Martinelli up front, let's have something on the counter. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if we did see that. You, you know what, Tim? It's not, it's not, and I agree with everything you said, right? But it's not even just the running in behind. We need that threat. But when you have good combination playing in the interior, those runners in behind make those gambles a bit more. And, you know, and then we get, then we get what you, what you need. But also that player can then on occasion say, you know what? I'm spinning. I'm going. And he's not so obsessed with coming to the ball. Now, I know we play a diamond. We squeeze the, we squeeze the party Lacazette link, depending on the temperature of the game. And we squeeze that flatter. And our, our wide tips of the diamond come in, depending on where we are in the game. And we compact the central areas and we expand where we have good possession. We go from there. My feeling is 
we are not offering enough dexterity in that central position. We're not enough ingenuity to move the ball around the corner to Saka and, and Martinelli. We're just not offering enough there. And we're okay at the moment. We're okay. But the way my brain is wired, when you're, my brain is always wired to evolve the team regardless. You've got to be looking at the next level. You've got to be looking at the next thing. You've got to get to the problem before it arrives. Don't wait and say, oh, well, we're okay and we need to keep going because we're doing okay. No, 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 no. You move the team on quickly so you can create a new face for people to observe and analyze. This isn't discrediting the fact that we've won five games out of six. Is that right? You know, we won Wolves home and away, which I would have killed for. I didn't predict. You know, we boshed Villa home and away, which we didn't do last season. Do you know what I mean? And... We're doing all the right stuff. Leicester, home and away. We didn't do that last season. right? So we know we're making steps forward. And Lacazette's been part of that. This isn't to denigrate the players. This is about the next layer. And we're sitting there, 10 games from the promised land. And I'm telling you, this ain't enough. We need to find more. We need to not go to sleep on Nuno. Not go to sleep on Sambi. We need more from these players. We need to bring them into the fold. Get them into the team to end games. And make sure we've got a greater depth for squad. Because this well, isn't going to be enough if you continue, continue to do this, I promise you. Yeah, there were there were a couple moments from Lacazette that were frustrating. There was a near post run he didn't make when it was really on. There was the there was obviously one where he takes the shot from the top of the box and he can just slip Odegaard in for the clearest possible chance. Or the reverse ball is on if he wants it, but the easy one is the one to Odegaard. Um, you know, there's one where he's in the box, he can't get the ball out of his feet to get the shot out in time. But like, this is the thing. I have been willing, and who cares what I've been willing to do, but I've been willing, Paul, to say like, you know what? Maybe we're not going to get the best strikery stuff from Lacazette, but he facilitates so much of our play. But like, this is a game where he had very, very, I, I thought he was poor-ish in the stuff that isn't striker stuff. So 19 touches in the whole game, seven passes, no key passes, so no chances created. He took two shots, none on target. One of them was a really bad one top of the box where he shouldn't have taken the shot. So... I, I think it was a poor game as a striker, but it wasn't offset. I mean, you look at the Wolves game away where he had eight shots, three key passes, three dribbles, 25 passes total, and, you know, 40 touches, whatever. This just, to me, this was a game where I looked and I said, the striker stuff isn't happening, and the other stuff we've been praising wasn't as good. Now, if I was inclined, which is not usually my case, Paul, to make the defense, the case for the defense, I would say, if there's a player in our squad that three physical, difficult games in a week is going to hurt, Lacazette is definitely a candidate for him. So I, I acknowledge that factor. But to, to Clive's part, if you settle with being a pretty good team and aren't looking at ways you can utilize your squad to become an even better team, then you're standing still and you should never be standing still. So I, I don't, you know, I don't dismiss Paul that Lacazette has been an important part of what we're doing, but I think there are some games and this is one of them where I don't think we saw the best of either component necessarily. Well, I love when we say I accept something as a factor and now I'm going to discount it. <laughs> right. No, no. Right. Okay. So, 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 so you're saying like he was, was fatigued. Yeah. 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 I, yeah they all that. were. He was probably the shaggiest of the shagged. So, like, Villa is not the game, and I think there is a reaction to the Villa game because not only was he tired and didn't do much for us, we tired, and we got really fucking nervous towards the end. As And the other thing that's going on at the moment is, let me tell you what's really going on here. We're scared because Spurs were good. 
And so we're like, oh, this is great. We're all doing good. Oh, hang on. Spurs is good. So we need to do something more. And I don't, I'm not there yet. I'm with, don't throw the Lacazette out with the bathwater. I think Mm. we're starting to panic a little here. I think we think we have something and we want to hold on to it. And so we're like, well, we need to do more. I don't see what the problem with bringing Smith Rowe off the bench for Martinelli or, and like, don't get me wrong, I'm all for bringing on Martinelli instead of Enkatia for Lacazette because that's like, I'm not against us trying a few things along the way, uh, changing things up a little bit. But the idea we need to get all of these guys on the same on the pitch at the same time, which is basically we need to get Smith Rowe instead of Lacazette on a regular basis. That's crazy talk. This shit. Uh, so first thing, I didn't say I didn't say that though, right? So, and I'm not panicking because I watch Spurs and their shit. By the way, all you got to do is just don't cross the ball, take and break, and then to keep your keep your intricacy passes around them, and they they are dead in their feet. So Spurs not that good. I'm not stressed by them. I'm looking at how we can be better. You know, can we end the game differently than Eddie, maybe put Nuno on and end the game with wide protection and bring one of those wide players inside? Can we do different things to make more players hotter and available for us? Because we will need them. Yeah. There's some I'm cold all, players I'm on our bench. That. Like, there's absolutely nothing to stop us freshening things up in different ways at the end of the game. Um, but, like, there's been a lot of stuff about how, like, back to the Lacazette problem, and I don't think it's a problem. I do think three games in a row, especially like that Liverpool game, fuck, it wasn't just any three games, right? We uh, maybe took put too much into that Liverpool game, uh, given the realities of it. We had to do what we had to do, but we were fucking shagged at the end of that. Then off to Villa, two and a half days rest, and like we all predicted this. like We were all certain Laka was going to be knackered. And the, to the point of the running in behind, like th- there are the two best teams in this league, possibly the three best, uh, you can throw Chelsea into that pot, do this concept of the false nine who drops deeper, connects the play. The running in behind comes from Saka and Martinelli. And we have that. And other teams play this way. Like the the strikers aren't where they get their goals. Um, now, we might overdo it, and we might like a few more goals from Lacazette, but nobody else has proven to be able to connect in the middle. Smith Rowe goes to one side or the other. He'll, he'll go and join up with Saka, or he'll go and join up with who's on the other side when you put him in the middle. He doesn't stay in the middle. Martinelli doesn't have that connective tissue. So you'll get some new things from having them up front. You'll lose almost everything Lacazette gives you. And it's working. What the hell are we talking about here? No, I'm just saying I'm looking at different ways to improve the team. On a certain, I'm not saying start every game with the four, but if they're getting good, and uh, and they're gonna they're gonna get really good, and we're gonna look at ways. It's gonna be harder to argue with myself as to why they can't be on the pitch at the same time. That's how I that's how I prefaced it, right? Well, so, you know how I'd get don't them on you the feel it's more time. a summer <laughs> conversation? And, and like I do well, agree with you, like I do agree well with you, Clive. Like off the subs bench or trying different things, or we may well hit a game in which it's not working for the first half, right? And we're like, oh, we need to try something on sixty minutes. Like I see all of that. 
Yeah, it may well be. I, I preface this by saying I walked away with an emotion that says, why are we talking about competition between Spiffer and Martinelli when actually my emotion, my well, emotion. I don't know. Well, I, don't, Clive, I, I think that's you're like, you're, you're just no, a no, really no, nice no, guy, but competition no, no. is what drives the, look at the competition at Liverpool and City. Oh, wow. I understand and, that. And Chelsea, I, they love I, I, it. I, I, I understand it, that. And I've it's mentioned doing this. them a favour, oh, I would say, Clive. You're, mis- but, you're misreading me. You're misreading yeah. me, right? I love competition. We want. I say we need to add three or four more like them. Do you know what I mean? It's not about yeah. that. It's about the fact. You know, actually, the emotion I walked away with, not about the competition between those two, the emotion I walked away with, by the way, they're playing so well, they should both be on the pitch. That's yeah. what That's what I said, right? So I'm not saying we need to select put Lacazette to the bench and take the captain's armband off him and give him to somebody else and we go for the next 10 games another way. They are making a case to start. They are both making a case to start. And when sure. a player plays that well, you have to think, shit, have I got the right players on the pitch? Have I? Do I need to change something? And that should always happen. Players should force you into change. They should force you into change, make themselves impossible to ignore because they're playing so well that I can't afford to have them sitting. That's what Martinelli did. That's what Saka did to Pepe. That's what Martinelli did to Smith Rowe. And Smith Rowe's fighting his way back in. And I know the manager's looking at him as an interior nine. And it's coming. It's coming. And like Clive, I agree with all of that. I would also point out that part of the reason they look so good is because they're competing to get on the pitch, which is all great, right? Yeah, It's it's just the nature of it. We we agree with that. I would would say this, though. And and I think we can leave it. Well, Tim, I'll I'll certainly let you jump in here if you have a strong feeling. But like, I think that Emil Smith Rowe, Gabriel Martinelli, Bukayo Saka, Martin Odegaard are all better players doing better things for us than Alexander Lacazette. I think Alexander Lacazette is doing the best he can and providing an important role. I think when the time is to change it, maybe the summer. You can absolutely talk me into that. If it needs to be changed, I, you can't talk me out of it. It has to be changed eventually. I think this is a solution that is working for now, but is not is not the the apex of where we can get to. Tim. Yeah, yeah, and and you know th- this often happens, right? When you're in a good run at the end of the season, you'll stick with things and you'll do things because they work. And then, like we we've seen it loads of times before with Arsenal. I, I use this example a lot, but I remember when United pinched the league office in two thousand three, they started playing Solskjaer on the right wing, and they just kept doing it because it worked. And they didn't do it again after the end of that season. Like the summer happened. I don't think Solskjaer ever played there again. But he played like the the last 10 games in that position. And they were just like, okay, we're winning. Let's just keep doing this. A bit like um, that time we had Ramsey on the right. Um, Do you remember we did that? I think eight games in a row and maybe won seven of them. Um, And it was clear that that Wenger never wanted to do that in the long term. But it was just like, it was April. It was working. Ramsey didn't that like it. won the cup final, didn't, didn't like it. Yeah, yeah, ex- yes, exactly. Yeah, 2015. Yeah. It was Coquelin, Cazorla, Ramsey on the right. Clear that he didn't want to, maybe he should have, but clear that nobody really wanted that um, long term. It's just, it just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but it, it, it worked for a little while and then it never happened again, basically, after that. So that does happen sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Clive, finish finish up on this because I think we should give flowers to the to the defenders as well. Yeah, I just want to say on, on this discussion, I wanna I wanna see it happen. But I wanna see it happen from a when we're two up against Brighton. Do you know what I mean? I wanna see us try things. We have to stretch out the squad. We have to find more. I don't wanna think, oh shit, we're one nil down in a big game 
And now we're reaching for something. Do you see what I mean? We're reaching for a solution that isn't there. I want us to try things when we're in charge of a game, hopefully in the near future. And we can say, okay, let's have a look at this in the interview. Let's have a look at a false nine situation with Smith Rowe in there. Let's have a look. Can we squeeze any more out? We don't win any of these five games without Lacazette. Trust me, I've been watching them too, right? So I know what's happening here, right? But we have to find more. And we have to be thinking that way all of the time. Continuous improvement. What can we do? How can we ring this out? How can we find more for more people? That has to be your thinking when you're a coach. And I'm sure they're thinking that way. And, and I, I can't think any other way than looking at how we can improve the group that we already have. Yeah, I, I mean, the the funny thing is, like, one of the really interesting sort of um, comparisons you could look at from midweek is Gabriel Martinelli gets to the byline and plays the ball through the corridor of uncertainty, and our center forward doesn't get to the near post. He's kind of marked behind a defender, and we don't get the tap in. And, uh, you know, 20 minutes later, a similar style false nine-ish center, center forward makes the run of the near post and taps one in. It's just, there's there's little layers to it. But like, as we, as we leave this topic, I think the thing I will say is game state matters too. Like the problem with trying things when you're up or when you're down, is it like the only time you get a real read on whether something works is if you try it from the start. And a great example of that are the subs because like Tim, Nicola Pepe, I think made a pretty clear uh, case for not being the guy to bring in when you're protecting a lead <laughs> uh, <laughs> versus like when we were chasing the game against Wolves. The, before we get to the defenders, Tim, I, I do just want to touch on the the substitutions. Like it, this is being a sub is hard because the temperature of the game is very specific. And sometimes you just don't get connected to it in the right way. And I thought in and Pepe <laughs> just stunk the place out. They were just terrible. Um, and it gives me no joy to say it. It was, you almost have to laugh. Uh, the, the, the foul Pepe gives away at the end of the game, like, it just seems to summarize was a microcosm of the, the whole appearance. Um, it didn't work. And I, I don't know if it's that the temperature was up and the fi- fouls were flying in, the rest of the team was tired and they couldn't connect with them or they, they weren't able to get their energy right. It reminded me a little of an Enkedia sub appearance when we were defending the, the lead against Wolves with 10 men and yeah. it didn't feel like he had the same energy that the team did to defend it. I'm curious how you look at those sub appearances just as anomaly or as a sign that we may have to go it without these guys. How, how do you react to that appearance? Because I don't think anyone could debate that it was, it was pretty dreadful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of it's to do with game state, to be honest, in, in both uh, scenarios where the game state had already been set, that we'd moved into a situation where we were more focused on defending the lead than adding to it. And again, sorry, I can't get away from the, the fact that that's a lot of that's dictated by who our striker is because Paul's right. The wide guys are the ones that, that run in, but when you're going a little bit backwards and you have to be a little bit more compact, like your, your center forward does need to lead that a little bit. And that's, that's what I mean with Lacazette. I know the type of player he is, but like we, we do like we employ him. We do have the right to ask him to do other things and not just the things he's good at and likes doing like that's the job. Um, so I, I think on both occasions, what happened was basically the game state was kind of set. And I mean, with Pepe, you kind of think that that game state might suit him a little bit. Yeah, stretch, game gets stretched out and he can run in behind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I was actually, you know, I was thinking, yeah, this, this is a good sub. Like clearly Saka's been kicked out of the game here um, and he's, he's not been quite right since then. And, you know, he needs some minutes off anyway. And you should be able to bring on like someone like Pepe and think, yeah, okay, he can do a job for 25 minutes. And uh, the, the problem with Pepe is that I'm not even sure there's any 
kind of sense in trying to rationalize it i think he just is flighty um, like that a bit like you know a bit like my, my favorite inconsistent player drb who just looked like either a world beater or completely useless mm. depending on what day of the week it was and it was very difficult to find any justification for either um i do just kind of think that's who pepe is and i i feel I feel more, I don't know if concerned is the word because I, you know, I, yeah, I guess concerned about his performance than Nketiah's because he comes on first. And by the time Nketiah comes on, it really is just like run the channels and, you know, make it difficult for them to clear the ball. Like there was never any sense that he was going to get a chance or try to score a goal. It was just like you're on for nuisance value. The one and, that drove me nuts is when Mings was like losing the ball and we would have had like a three on zero late. Yeah. And he like clumsily f- fouled him when it wasn't necessary. Just like, yeah, just like yeah. basic shit, you know? And and sometimes like, sometimes when you're not playing as well, it's just difficult to pick up that. That's the thing about having a fairly settled 11. It giveth in it taketh away it means you know for most of this game you can see that that team knows each other inside out and it's got those automatisms but that means that there are guys sitting on the bench who don't have that and it's very very difficult to come into it the the bit actually where I got annoyed with Inketia in the stadium I, I think I can't remember if he was offside or he'd committed a foul or something and we were in stoppage time and he was down near the corner flag and he had the ball at his feet and like he walked away from it and let Martinez collect it. And I was just like, you've got to just prod that away for fuck's sake and take up five seconds. You know what I mean? Like most Premier League footballers would have just done like he had the ball at his feet. And even if he'd got booked for it, like who fucking cares if Eddie Nketiah picks up a yellow card? Like we're, we're past like five yellow cards didn't get you a suspension anyway. Now he'd have to get 10, like just, just, take the yellow or you know just that little bit of gamesmanship to slow Martinez down and like slow the game down and he just like he just walks away from the ball lets Martinez collect it and boot it 80 yards up the pitch and you're just like for Christ's sake man like this is I was watching the Classico with uh, Madrid and Barca yesterday evening and they brought on this Nico guy who went around in the space of three minutes kicked three guys and got a yellow card and I want some of <laughs> yeah. that. Come yeah, on, exactly. kick some people. Yeah, exactly. The old like Gilles Grimondi, Nelson Vivas sub, um, yeah. you know, like, cause no one cares if Gilles Grimondi gets suspended. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, it was just like, if, if you're on for nuisance value, let, let's have some nuisance value. So yeah, that, I, 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 I was disappointed more so in Pepe than in Ketia, I think. But Nketiah yeah. really is like a player who's who's going anyway. Yeah, and l- let's face it, right? Like, um, the Pepe's got to be the kind of player that must drive a, a coach absolutely crazy because the the things he's capable of doing, like winning you the Wolves game or you know getting you back into the Wolves game, versus the things he's capable of doing, like stinking the place out and not knowing which you're going to get absolutely absolutely awful tim's got to go but we got to give flowers to the defenders so uh tim's on twitter still thanks tim my pleasure as always okay clive look the the fact of the matter is that i want to end on a, on a positive and i don't think you can get any more positive than the performance of our defenders and i mean i think all of them from cedric and tierney to white and gabriel to holding coming in <clears throat> the internet does its best when something is memeable and the memes that are coming from holding coming on and making the three five two gesture and basically saying, like, once he comes on, that's the end of the game, blow the whistle ref. Like, he really has developed this closer role when we go into that. Group. And I have to admit, right, 
I was the kind of guy who a couple seasons ago, when we decided to bring on an extra defender to defend a lead late, I was furious because I was like, this is inviting pressure and we're going to throw it away. <clears throat> and the reason, Clive, is because I didn't trust the professionalism and competence of the defenders to defend. But now we have guys that really revel in the defending. I mean, Ben White, we thought of always a carrier, as a passer. You know, uh, Tierney's an overlapper. Cedric's an offensive kind of player. But like, these guys have shown a willingness, especially that phenomenal center back pairing, to, to be defenders. And White is winning aerial duels suddenly, and Gabriel is cleaning everything up and striding out and you know leading the team in passing. And I, I just don't think we can end this podcast without praising that group, uh, including Tierney, who I've been a little critical of, but I think defensively has been really solid, and Holding, who's become this interesting sort of closer role to come on and, and clean things up. Yeah, I think one thing is, you know, we're all we're all desperate to finish in top four now. You know, expectations are raised. So we're now desperate to finish there and we're all nervous and excited, et cetera, et cetera. One thing we're probably forgetting a little bit is how much the players want this. And I think you can see that they really have targeted this and they are playing literally cup final football. And that includes the defenders. Now we spoke post Liverpool a lot and Cedric got a bit of trouble in the second half and Responded straight away in this game, super sharp, overlapping run, cross, goal. You know, this is good stuff, good recovery, throwing away your old rubbish, psychologically ready for the next game. Fair play to him. I really, he's given it absolutely everything for me. And they're the people I, I really sort of admire, people that may not be top of the talent charts, but they can turn up every single week and try and give it their absolute best and don't go hiding. Why and Gabriel, well, I've been on board with them from day one, minute one, both of them. And as soon as Gabriel arrives, he's our best defender for me. And it's just a matter of him fine-tuning off some of the rashness. Uh, ben White had a good look at him in the early preseason game, liked what I saw immediately, not worried about the things that people pointed out because he's a natural footballer and he's a very good one. And just because he looks pretty doesn't mean he's not determined because he is incredibly determined and got a real edge and winning streak to him. And and Kieran Tierney, I, I think... Again, people look to him and, and thinking, well, he's not putting in 15 crosses. Well, so what? He's he's smashing everyone defensively. I saw him run against Mane last week live. Outrun him easy. No problem. Physical with him. I think he's excellent. And he brings a lot of intangible stuff that I hope stays in the team for a long, long time. So Good then man, with the Clive. keeper. Sorry, mate. Good man, Clive. You yeah. Girl. yeah, I think then with the keeper, the keeper's brought us, he's brought a relationship. You know, with Ramsdale, he's brought a relationship. And have you seen Leno smile as much as you have at the weekend? I mean, he's he's been a pretty dour individual. And he's come in, made a save, obviously really relieved to do well, get a clean sheet. Have you ever seen him as happy? You know, so, so this has been, that's a player from the old environment to the new. There's relationships being built amongst that group. And so when they make a mistake, they're, they're ready to cover each other. I'm just not bothered. I know they're good. I know what they're doing. Holding's always been a deep line defender. So how are we using him? As a deep line defender. And it's brilliant when we're deep. And it's just smart use of resources. You know, there's, there's still a couple more I want to see more minutes to, but we have to wait for the moment. I get that. It was my own little frustration. But yeah, the way we're ending 5-3-2 or 3-5-2, or <laughs> it doesn't really matter whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, it's We have a, I think at Burnley away, we went to a four-four-two <coughs> block, and we swapped our wingers, and we ended up with Maitland-Niles and Nuno. I quite like that, 
double fullbacks, if you know what I mean, on the outside to make sure you're protected. I quite like that scenario to end games as well. But we chose him this way and Rob Holding, it works. And mate, he's, uh, he's doing a very good job, a very good job. Yeah. Um, uh, Paul, you know, I mean, it's, it is interesting because the, I am someone obviously who looks at the attacking part of the pitch and that's the part I focus on. And I think we're better when we keep the ball up the pitch. I think we're better when we control territory possession, you know, and like when I look at the good teams, that's what they do. Manchester city does that. And obviously it's easy to make the lazy comparisons between us and city based on where Arteta came from. But like you still have to defend now, most of the defending you're going to do is going to be in space, but there are going to be times when you have to be able to soak up a little bit of pressure. And what I think is interesting about White and Gabriel is they're the rare partnership that seems to be able to transition between those two game state types of defending. Um, like Mustafi's an interesting one, right? Because <clears throat> as much as we made fun of him and thought he was a clown, Mustafi was someone that when we were really bunkered down and had to defend his box, could do it. He was great in aerial duels. It was his one really strong thing by and large. And and where he got isolated and had to do any one-on-one defending, like that's when you really saw all the calamitous stuff come out. Um, Kashani and Murtisacker were a good partnership, but obviously if you brought Murtisacker up the pitch, you really had to rely on like a Bellerin and a Kashani covering his back because he couldn't run back the other way. I don't even know if it would have been Bellerin at that time. But um, White and Gabriel, I mean, Gabriel's got the pace, you know, White has the technical ability on the ball, so does Gabriel. They they have the ability to win. You know, White's not strong, strong in the air, but he's gotten better, and Gabriel can be dominant in the air. Like, the, the, the partnership works, and it's a partnership that, in the first half, when we're controlling the game, they're solid. Late in the game, when we're defending deep, they're still solid. I think it's very rare to find center-back pairings mm-hmm. that can defend in both sorts of ways, in both game states. Um, I think the key thing is it was essential we made this move to these two uh, centre-backs this summer because it enables the whole way we play. The ability to push up the pitch and to maintain that and to sustain that. Um, Like you need a player like Ben White in your back line. Um, The lazy comparison might be John Stones, but you need that... Um, ability to kind of play on the ball, to step up, to step into midfield with the ball, to dribble in, to be that free man in the midfield that nobody's picked up. Um, his distribution up the right-hand side is really good. His smarts, uh, you know, we were talking the other day about him having his head up, looking around. That's something he does all the time. Ben White is obviously a guy who could be a midfielder, could play in midfielder, but he doesn't play in midfielder because he fucking loves the duel, right? That's where mm-hmm. him and Gabrielle, and, and you might think that's every player, every defender, but it's not. Like, Gabrielle, Tierney, and Ben White, it's a badge of honor, honor that they don't get beaten. Tommy Asu, not every defender has this, weirdly, but, like, they will not be beaten, and if they get beaten, it fucking kills them. They'll obsess about it, about how... What did they do wrong? How did they not? And they'll celebrate tackles. They'll celebrate uh, extinguishing things. Um, And it's a little bit of a rare quality to have a guy who can play that much football, who loves, absolutely loves the defensive side of it. I think he's so good on headers, etc., because the best headers are not necessarily the biggest guys. They're the guys who see where the ball's going first, who anticipate, who get their position ahead of the other guy, who jump before the other guy, but not too early. He's Ben White's such a front 
footed player. Gabrielle's just a really great defender all round. Yeah. Uh, and Ben White brings that whole extra dimension to defending uh, that sets us up. That means we can play up the pitch, we can play deep. Um, love Rob Holding, his attitude, his professionalism, his always being ready, his doing it for the team and for the club. Gotta love the guy. Uh, Tierney's really showing himself. And you know you got a good system when Cedric can come into it and find his way of playing and being effective and looking good. Because you put him in an, a mediocre team that doesn't know what they're doing, you'll probably get to see the Cedric we were afraid of. But he obviously has talents and abilities um, in this structure with party on his side, with those defenders around him. Um, he's, he starts to settle in, get comfortable, and play to his strengths. But uh, that, that centre-back pairing with Ramsdale... Um, just the business. Yeah, and we'll have to hope Ramsdale's okay. I mean, he's not going away with England on this international break. I feel sorry for him for that because he he might have gotten a start, and I'm sure he was looking forward to it being with the England team. He won't, you know, he won't get to to play over the international break. Now, it's a hip issue. No idea how serious. Apparently, he was feeling it at the end of the Liverpool game. It was enough to keep him out of this game. I think it's in the, the first half of Liverpool game. It may yeah. have explained the mistakes in the second half. Yeah, this is like 60 after. minutes, I think, Clive. Yeah, well, fair enough, I was watching him and my boy was watching him and he said he, he was starting to flex in the first half. And I thought, that's interesting because the mistakes came later, didn't they? Hey, look, I'm hoping that was the reason because it, it makes it easier for my brain to <laughs> reconcile with it. <laughs> but it may not be, right? So there you go. Yeah. Um, I mean, what do you, like, all right, well, let's get out of here. But Clive, just, just as a final thought, like, do you... Do you have any thoughts on on that? You know the the future of that center back pairing. I, mean, I think it's interesting, right? First of all, the guy we're linked with at Barcelona scored a goal. Um, you know, there's the Saliba situation. I know uh, James McNichols was out in France watching that game, checking out him and Matteo Guendouzi. Uh, Clive, I just I think we are a club that really hasn't it was defined by dominant back fours and dominant center backs, and then for a long time it was just an area. That was a weakness for us. I mean, the Kashelny and, and Murdisak one was pretty good, to be fair, but they had a clown keeper behind them for most of that. Um, but this this feels like a really interesting, rare case for Arsenal where we've got some of those flashy, young, dynamic players up front, but really professional, high-quality center backs and a solid keeper behind them. It's yeah. it's definitely a foundation you can build off of. Yeah, and so he was just being called up to the France squad. I don't know if you mentioned that earlier or not. Um, but yeah, he's... It's, it's going to be interesting because I think we need our Canate and is Saliba going to be that guy, you know, behind Matip and Van Dyke? Is he prepared to be that guy? Canate is getting plenty of minutes. He's, a, a, you know, he's a another giant French defender that's got a lot of potential. We have one that's very, very experienced for a 20-year-old and it'd be interesting to see how they come into the group. Again, I'm always thinking about the next layer beneath. We need four next year. We can't do it with three. We can win one competition, but not not next year when we're going to be playing 55 games, hopefully, regardless of what European competition is going to be in. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's great um, talent identification, and it's not just finding a player. We're actually finding players that mesh together now, and that's what's really good. We can see that with Pai, how he's meshed in the midfield with Shaka, you know, whether it's a six or a double six or a six and an eight. I think this talent identification is really good because you're now buying specifics. And yep. we can now see the 
specificity. <laughs> That's the wrong word. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a word. It was cl- it was near enough a word. <laughs> Thank you, Elliot. Um, we've now buying with those specifics, and we can all see it now, and it's really, really clear. And so, yeah, it's it's all brilliant by the by um, the scouting department, definitely. It, it's funny because I feel like people are just getting really nervy about top four now. For some reason, Spurs beating West Ham seems to have like raised people's fear factor, but like. We're still in the same good position we were in. And what I think people forget is like Spurs are still shit. Don't you worry. As Clive said, they are still shit. Um, I have to say, we're really lucky to be doing as well as we are because you would not want to be on social media. You would not want to be listening to podcasts or consuming Arsenal content if we were on a bad run and Aubameyang was on this kind of run for Barcelona. Like it's just, it is great. Like the number of people right now who are posting things like, Good to see it worked out for everybody. I have a feeling that would not be the zeitgeist if if it hadn't. But like watching him nearly bag a hat trick against a Real Madrid team, Real Madrid team that let's be honest was the most defending optional Real Madrid I've ever seen in my life. Like I, I maybe get a hat trick against them in that game, but like it it is we've gotten really fortunate I think with the fact that the move seems to have worked out for him. Great. But luckily, we're doing really well, so we don't really have to hear about it. So I think everybody has caught a People break. People are here. lurking with their receipts, though, Elliot. They're lurking yeah, in the background. So um, Look, I mean, we'll he made see. one or two runs where I'm like, oh, that'd still be handy to have around. But the, the fact is, what we're doing is working. What he's doing when is he's working. he's happy, he's a good player. He wasn't happy at Arsenal towards the end. Simple as that. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, it, it, is, it is the fact that, like, there's just lots of – look, we have a good team playing well. I'm happy to focus on that. And I'm just glad that we don't have to worry what other former players of ours are doing at other places in very, very big and visible fixtures. So, uh, with any luck, look, maybe he will knock someone out of the Europa League that we don't. Is there anyone left in the Europa League we don't particularly like? Yeah, West Ham? Eh. Everyone. Are, are, is, are United still in it? No, they're out of Europe. Oh, they're out of Europe, right? Oh, they just lost Atletico in the Champions League. Yeah. You know what? We'll leave it. That's not important. We got uh, two weeks to talk more about the winning run we're on. Here's what's coming up. It is time for the Predictatron. So I'm going to set up the spreadsheet. We love filling that out. Usually it's wrong four or five times before we get it right. Um, By right, I mean even just the math and the fixtures. Uh, But we will do the Predictatron. You don't want to miss it. Because like when I think about podcasts, I'm like, what do I want from a podcast? People just saying win, draw, or loss for 15 minutes straight is what I want from podcast. And we're going to deliver that. You better believe it. We're going to do tactical deep dives on performances from players who have been in the spotlight lately, like Shaka, Odegaard, Lacazette. Uh, we're going to try out a new concept of how to do that, a video program. Um, so that'll be fun. So lots of stuff to get you through the interlull. But most of all, I uh, hope you're enjoying the good the good vibes. Mikel's Red Army marches on. Thank you for being here. We love you. And uh, it's Palace after the international break. We owe them one. I mean, we did get the late equalizer at home, but we do owe them one. And uh, I doubt there will be much singing of Vieira's name. Hopefully, uh, we can sing it in a rousing victory if we feel like it. So we'll leave it there. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Fitzgibbon. Man, Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We love you, and we will definitely talk to you after Arsenal ten. Palace nil.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.